0: Hello and welcome to Brett. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. We're not all in the same circumstances, but these days are not easy for most of us. Please know that Ed and I are here and available to speak to you if you need any spiritual or emotional support at all enjoy the podcast. Good morning. This would typically be the talk as the second in a pair of giving talks where, having been challenged by Ed's excellent talk on the theological aspects of our relationship with money last week, I would excite you with the vision. I'd rouse your emotions and faith for what the future of church your church is going to look like in the next calendar year and why you should give hard-earned tax-deductible cash to it. Now, I'm not going to hide my light under a bushel. I have some decent experience with the comms around fundraising. I know how important it is to emotionally engage you with the ways that you are connected to and a solution to this need. I know that you need to feel part of a bigger story, a bigger whole. It's just that as fundraising goes, and there's much more to it than that, obviously, I have some work cut out for me this morning. Firstly, our story as a church is new. We're in our third year as a planted church, but less than half of that was spent in Los Feliz before COVID hit and we went online. So we're still very, very much taking shape. And therefore, I can't necessarily refer you back to the story that you knew of bread and what the community looked like because it was still in developmental phases. And secondly, anyway, we are now in our 10th month of meeting online. So essentially, I'm asking you to have vision for something that, even in its fledgling state, we haven't been doing for a very long time. And I mean, we've been putting these things up here, navigated the limitations and technological capabilities as best as we humanly can. But as we all know, this isn't church. This isn't, from the New Testament descriptions of what church is supposed to be, gatherings of those drawn together, worshipping assemblies, bodies of believers. This isn't beautiful, supernatural togetherness. This isn't intimate spiritual communion, although genuinely there have been incredible moments of it. This hasn't been church for quite some time, has it? And so now, In terms of how our memories work, 10 months is quite a long time for me to ask you to refer back to in order to predict expectations for the future on. I believe that pushing water uphill would be an adequate description of what it is I'm trying to do this morning, pushing holy water up isolated, lonely, exhausted hills. Because the other thing that I think is going on for most, if not all of us, is that there is a deep psychological and spiritual exhaustion at play as we face this new devastating surge of Covid spread. And even that, though we know that 2021 isn't that far away, and even though we know that it's possible that the predictions about a vaccine being rolled out coming to fruition in recent months might actually happen, It's just really hard to feel what we want to feel about all that right now. However, fortuitously for me, things work differently in the kingdom of God. I don't actually need to take you on an emotional fundraising journey. I don't need to spell out what every dollar you give us can do. We don't have membership tiers or premium packages or plaques on seats. We don't actually have seats at the minute, unless you count those black foldy plastic ones that we used at Alpha. And if you'd like a plaque of one of those, you can have one. You're very welcome. All of this begins and ends and ends and begins the same way that every single thing in our Christian faith and Christian community ends and begins with, with grace. There is no religious adherence to gracious giving. There are no rules. There's no mandate. You get full membership of this thing, whether you give to it at all. But that's the thing with grace. Really receiving it, really letting it take a hold of you, changes the way you look at everything. Money and ownership being no exceptions as we are about to see we're looking at a passage in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians this morning, which isn't as random as it seems, um, having just finished a series on Philippians. Because actually the people that are talking to just at the beginning of this passage that Jeremy is about to read uh, when he talks about Macedonian churches are, among others, the Christians from Philippi, the ones who were really, really getting grace here. So uh, without any further ado, over to Jeremy.
1: And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich.
0: Paul really doesn't mint his words here. Crushed by life is the literal meaning of what he describes. They're going through extreme poverty and other disclosed afflictions. But this church still gets grace. Charis is the Greek word for grace and it's used eight times in these nine verses alone. Despite everything they're going through, generous outlandish giving are the natural byproducts of what they have received in grace generosity is evidence of grace taking hold of us no matter what we're going through is what we learn here we receive it the full life-changing knowledge of acceptance forgiveness justification restoration and airship and the natural almost chemical reactions as it's described here of having received it is generosity pouring out of us in service of others The word that Paul uses here is diaconia for this kind of service, and it implies something costly. Costly. I have to tell you, uh, in the interest of having any integrity speaking about this stuff whatsoever, that I don't like any of this any more than you do right now. In fact, I have had very painful and uncomfortable experiences reading, praying, pondering, and writing about this stuff this week, because I'm very aware that I have a pretty big scarcity mindset right now. I quit my other source of income in January this year, and I, uh, uh, with Ed, i still in the middle of this pretty disastrous (laughs) renovation project that we're in, disastrous in terms of the fact that it's already taken six months longer than it was supposed to and budgeted for and is nowhere near finished yet. Hopefully not disastrous in, you know, it's still being a house at the end of all this, but time will tell. I have been horribly prone to my natural money shaped brokenness which is to completely ostrich about all of it. I don't think about any of it, I don't look at it, I hope upon hope that Ed is monitoring things and renegotiating things and I'm silently pleading that he's not going to bring it up and talk to me about it again because even thinking about money in this season for me it makes me feel sick and the thing is I get that for so many of this is always feels more complicated than me spouting simple doctrine like being full of grace means that you want to give everything away. Lots of us have financial dependence with real needs. Lots of us are hanging by our fingernails, uh, trying to make, trying to pay rent, trying to make ends meet, trying to stay in L.A. at all. Lots Lots of us are living in hugely increased anxiety around our financial futures this year. And I think that a scarcity mindset is only natural when that stuff kicks in. For other of us, I wonder if you relate to the other side of my broken money coin, which is that if I'm being really honest, there's some sort of feeling of a lot of guilt around um, us putting so much money into having a nice home when there's so much need all around us and so much call for costly giving. But really... Nothing about either of these mentalities forges generosity. Nothing about it is coming out of grace and none of it sounds anything like Jesus's voice when I have stopped to think about it. And all of it has had me wondering if I've ever actually come close to grace getting a hold of me with the kind of attitude that Paul is talking about here. I think we as Christians routinely give our time and money away out of two chief motivations. Firstly, a sort of religious guilt, because we know that we should, that being a good giver is part of the Christian game. Secondly, out of pride, because we know we have enough that we can afford to give some away, even though it's been deducted from our tax bill. But that it's what I'm trying to say. Be clear about here is that neither of these things are anything like what Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about is what Jesus was like. Verse nine: That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Jesus didn't give out of what he could spare. He didn't hand over some of his wealth. He gave away everything. The same with his power. He willingly lost all of his power and became completely vulnerable. Nothing for us. Being called to be like Jesus feels uncomfortable because it feels unreachable. So let me just bring you back to the start again now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were first loved, we were first saved. We were loved and saved in a way that means there is nothing we can do to increase how much we're loved and saved and nothing we can do to decrease it. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can bring an end to the number of chances we get to screw it up, nothing. We love because we were first loved. And when all this feels too hard, we just go back to the love. It is grace, always grace, that changes us and inspires us and compels us to do anything in God's kingdom. Every service, every act, every way we could ever think of using our gifts, every gift given is rooted in this love. When we are filled with this love that surpasses knowledge of how wide and long and high and deep it is, we are full welled up and overflowed just like the churches in macedonia that paul was describing which sounds simple enough so i wanted to look now at a few reasons why we find it so hard to stay full of this love this grace before i get onto the vision stuff few things are more clear in the bible than the tenet that got of god's ownership of the world it is his all of it Whatever is under, the whole of heaven is his, all the earth is his, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. The ancients understood this. They believed on a very profound level that everything was his. A good harvest was God's to provide, good fortune was his to bestow. Without him, they had nothing. But we are drenched in other doctrine that declares personal ownership a natural right That one's actually been around since the Roman days, outdated personhood definitions notwithstanding. Doctrine that says our money is ours, our stuff is ours, our property is ours. Our hard work is what pays for it. Our personal freedoms are asked to defend, our personal fulfilment are what we're here to earn, to prove, to achieve. There's no such thing as a free lunch. We have been conditioned by conditional love since we were knit together in our mother's wombs and it is utterly unworkable to our human DNA that there's nothing we can do to pay for our lunch when it comes to grace, the doctrine that we now declare to live by. But the thing is, grace isn't a doctrine, nor is it an equation or an exchange or a manifesto. Grace is a person. And the world has no reply to him, nor do any of the forces of darkness. Grace is the only answer to division. Grace is the only answer to hostility and anguish and anxiety and depression and pain. Grace is the only fuel we have. It's the only thing we can be filled up and overflowing with, if we want to be this church, this colony of heaven in a hostile world able to even consider diachonia giving, costly, self-giving, giving, the ones known for our love. And I know that it feels really hard to envisage right now, but January will come. The vaccine will come. There will be a moment for all of us, and it might not be the same moment for everyone, but there will be a moment when we feel safe enough, when we are safe enough to meet again. And we as a staff team want to be ready for that. We want to have everything we need in place. We want to have the funds to rent a new building. We want this to be somewhere where we can put down roots, where we can offer far more than just Sunday services. Sunday services are really important. They are where we, as a body, come together to be filled with this grace, to receive it, to be welled up, and overflowing with it, having leaked it all over the place during the week. Sundays being the gas station, as we often put it. You won't come to church to be told what you need to change. You come to church to remember how powerful it is to know how loved you are exactly as you are. You come to church to be filled with that love and the power of the Holy Spirit the one who we believe is in charge of every single service, the one who speaks, the one who heals, the one who casts vision, anoints with gifting and calls us to change. But that's just Sundays. We want to do so much more. We want to provide a food bank, we want to provide homeless meals and we want to meet need where it is. We want to provide training language courses, relationship courses, parenting courses, financial courses, AA and NA and any other A that's needed. We want to have a network of therapists and counsellors vetted and approved and affordable. We want to be generous. We want to be a church known for giving itself away to the community around us and the city wide. We want to be known for making ridiculous donations to amazing courses. We want to be known for the way that we partner with other local other local organisations and give ourselves away as a community. We want to take a flipping stand about racial restoration. We want to be not just somewhere instantly recognisable for its non homogenous approach to the culture that we've created. Not just somewhere where people of all colours and cultures and socio-economic backgrounds and physical abilities can feel safe and at home but somewhere known for how it uses its voice to combat the pervasive silence in culture about the history of white supremacy in this country and around the world, and how tied up in that the church has been. We want to be a place that isn't afraid of taking this stand, of committing to the work it will require to bring its people with us. And where, unlike in the rest of culture, we know we're all on a journey, and we will make mistakes, but where acceptance is unconditional because we're a don't-even-know-what-cancelling-means culture. Grace never cancels, and we never, ever, ever deviate, not even for a second from our battle cry of grace. So can you now ask the Spirit to guide you about what you can give? We're looking for 100,000, This week we received about 15, which was awesome. But we'd love to go way over 100 because the more we get now, the more we can start planning and putting into place our solid, real, in-person future. No amount is too small, but can I encourage you now to open yourself to the Spirit as we end. I do just want to remind us that we don't have God's fullness dwelling in us like Jesus did. But like Peter finished his second letter with and his call uh, to his readers, that we are called to grow in grace. This is what we're always being called to do. And I do think that grace growth will be something a huge number of us will look back on 2020 as what it was a time of. But can I remind you as well that we always um, say when we give these talks, it's a good idea to what you act on what the Spirit is saying to you straight away, because our flesh and worldly wisdom have an amazing habit of talking us out of gracious giving. But let's end, as we always do, with asking the Spirit to fill us, to come and now meet us in our homes. Come, Holy Spirit, will you guide, will you speak, will you fill us, with this love, with this voice that is never harsh or critical or condemnatory. For those of us who are really struggling with the idea of uh, money, fear around not having enough of it, fear around what opening ourselves up to generosity would really look like. Thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear. invite you to just receive as you uh, listen to this song that's playing now. And um, if you're watching live at the end, you'll always um, be online for Zoom for ministry and do join us there. In the glory of your presence, I find
1: Amen.